It's a whole new year, but does anything really change? On today's show, I talk about the Pennsylvania concealed carry law, the Capitol Police saying that they're still not prepared, the Twitter files, porn in Louisiana, and more. So, as the legendary Bandrew Scott would say, stick around. Hello and welcome to episode number 218 of the Random Thoughts podcast that is spelled R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. My apologies for skipping out on you. Last week, we were planning on doing a show, but ended up feeling a little bit under the weather, having a bout of AFib, which is never any fun, but things are back on track feeling a little bit better now and christmas was good it was quiet which is always good low in drama a lot of presents being given a lot of presents being received mainly a lot of vinyl for me and a vinyl cleaning machine so everything goes really well together and my wife got me a nice vinyl set of doctor who audio books well basically audio books but in on vinyl which also included a really cool 12 by 12 autographed lithograph of the one and only tom baker who i will go to my dying day telling you is the best doctor of all the doctors in the doctor who universe no question about it And I think it's pretty cool that they're still making audio adventures with Tom Baker. And it's really kind of bizarre, but cool to have them on vinyl rather than just an MP3 file or something like that. So I hope all of your Christmases and New Year's were good. I mean, for me, New Year's is nothing. I can't remember the last time I cared about New Year's Eve. I'm very much in the same category as my buddy Larry Blydner from that Larry show. We talked about it a little bit on Planet Rage, but New Year's Eve is not really a thing. Once you're past, I don't know, your mid-20s, you'd just rather go to bed early. And it's annoying when people are shooting off the fire. I mean, I get it. On New Year's Eve at midnight, okay, go shoot off a few fireworks. But the next day and the day after continuing to do that, no, sometimes people just want some sleep. But I get it. You want to celebrate, just do it a little bit more quietly, except on New Year's Eve. But nothing really changes on New Year's Day. Isn't that what the song by U2 says? Nothing changes on New Year's Day. There's nothing magical about the change of the clock. There's nothing magical about the change of the calendar moving from one year to the next. A lot of people put too much pressure on themselves. Trying to come up with a New Year's resolution. Something I'm going to do better in the new year. Here's a little tip. You don't need New Year's to make a resolution to make your life better. You can do that any day of the year. At any moment of any day of your life, you can decide that you're going to make changes for the better. You don't need to have a time to do that. And what New Year's has turned into 
is nothing but a bunch of people going out and getting drunk, usually getting themselves into trouble. Just like Christmas has turned into the madness of everything surrounding the time. Oh, we have to put up the decorations. Oh, we have to buy all the gifts. Oh, we have to get on. No. Christmas has one purpose to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And I know most people that celebrate Christmas don't care about that. And that, to me anyway, is the problem. But I hope everybody had a good Christmas, had a good New Year's. We're now hurtling right on into Valentine's Day and Easter. The world keeps turning. And here in Iraq, we still really haven't had any snow to speak of. So we're waiting on that. We did have some cold weather, though. It was icy cold over Christmas. We're talking down into the single digits or below zero Fahrenheit here in the United States. If you're listening from outside of the 50 U.S. states where you use Celsius, it was under zero Fahrenheit. So traveling on Christmas Eve in the dead of night was a little uh, sketchy. It was a little sketchy and people love to turn out right in front of you. I think some people were trying to really end their Christmas early the way they were driving. But I'm pretty sure because I was feeling a little under the weather and I was sleeping on the theater seats that we have because it's a little bit easier where you can kind of stay a little bit elevated when having any kind of issue, at least for me. So Christmas Eve, go to bed. And I wake up in the middle of the night and it's a little bit colder than normal. And I'm like, what's going on? It feels a little chilly. And I get up and I'm like, it's really cold in here. I better go up and check the furnace. And as I'm walking up the stairs, I can feel it's already every step I take. It's getting warmer. And I'm like, okay, so it's warm up here, but cold down on the lower level. So I look at the thermostat and everything looks okay. The thing's cranking. It's going. It was set down to like the low 60, maybe like 63, whatever it was set to go to sleep. And the thing's cranking. And I go back downstairs. I'm like, it's really cold down here. And I got my cell phone and I turned on the little flashlight and I'm walking in, like looking, going in towards the office here where I'm broadcasting from right now. And all of a sudden I feel a breeze. And I raise the flashlight to look at the door, which is in the hallway behind me right now, that connects our garage into the lower level of the house. And the door is open. And man, it is cold. So, yeah, the door didn't shut, I guess. And it was so windy and so cold that sometime after going to sleep, that door opened up. So I turned on the little space heater that's sitting on the floor and it's a nice little vornado thing and it has a gauge in there that will tell you what the temperature is and it'll turn off if it gets to the temperature that you want it to get to and usually when it's kind of cold you know it's down in the 60s i turned the space heater on to get things warmed up a little bit and the temperature that popped up on the display was 35 so it was a little chilly a little bit chilly. I'm pretty sure my wife was trying to kill me. I'm just saying it's a distinct possibility. 
that uh, was the case. But that was Christmas Eve. It was a little bit chilly. It was kind of like being camping outside. Maybe that was the vibe we were going for. But everybody survived. The house eventually warmed up and all was good. Now, because it is the holiday season, there's very little going on in the world politically. I don't want to talk about the murder guy from Idaho. It's going to be an interesting case to follow, but not enough information as of yet. But we can talk about the Pennsylvania concealed carry law, because as we've talked about before, when it comes to the whole gun situation, I believe the Constitution's fairly clear that people have the right to own firearms and putting any kind of restrictions on those abilities is not going by the Constitution. But as we know, here in the Chicago area in Illinois, you need to get a firearm owner ID card in order to be able to purchase a pistol. And that goes through the state police. Well, it's very similar in Pennsylvania that you have to go through your local sheriff and you have to pay a $20 application fee. In Pennsylvania, you actually have to get two character references and pass a background check. Here in Illinois, it's pretty much just the background check and pay your fee, which I think it is in that $10 to $20 range. But the reality is most people that commit crimes with guns do not have them legally in the first place. And there are places like Illinois and Pennsylvania where even after you get the license to be able to purchase a pistol, you cannot carry it legally on your person, which kind of seems to defeat the whole purpose unless you're using it strictly for home protection. Which here in Illinois, that's a good thing to have. But you don't really even need a pistol for home protection. You can use a shotgun or a variety of other things. But the reality is, most people, when you're out and about, is when you are most likely to need your gun to defend yourself, to protect yourself. It might happen when you're in church. It might happen when you're at your local bar and somebody comes in and wants to shoot the place up. That's way more likely, it seems than somebody coming into your home. But that's where you can't carry it in these states. And to me, that never made sense because I'll keep making the same argument over and over again, which is the way to deal with any kind of crime is to put the criminal behind bars, is to have a penalty for people that commit crimes. Now, just owning a gun is not a crime. If you're a gun owner, I don't think you should have to jump through hoops to get a permit to carry that gun. With that said, if you go out and commit a crime with said gun, then you should go to jail. You should go to jail for a long time. But this is where the left and the right politically have a difference of opinion. Because the left goes, no, 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 you can't put criminals in jail, which is absolutely insane. Instead, they put all of their time and their efforts into keeping people who are law-abiding citizens from having guns because they claim to be against gun violence, and it makes absolutely zero sense. 
having the restrictions like any law do does not keep the people was that english there it sounded like english having the restrictions does not keep the criminals from breaking the law having the restrictions will only keep the law abiding citizens from having a weapon handy to be able to protect themselves or to be able to protect the people around them if they encounter a situation where they could use their gun for self-defense. So this is the kind of round robin stuff that just never gets taken care of. And it's funny that, oh, it's okay. Isn't that racist to require a $20 application fee and two character references and a background check just to be able to buy a gun? I mean, it is to have just an ID to vote. So I don't understand how this isn't racist as well. Again, let everybody have the guns. And if they commit a crime with the gun, make it a very severe sentence to punish the people for committing the crime with the gun. That seems perfectly reasonable to me because we're all aware of the millions of guns that are already on the streets. They're not hard to get illegally. This is why all of this time and all of this money and all of these efforts make zero sense because the politicians, I mean, I don't think they're that stupid. Maybe they are. I think they're intentionally doing things in order to hurt law-abiding citizens while help criminals, which I don't get. But I think everybody understands that a vast majority of gun crime happens with people that don't own the guns legally, or they're doing things, bringing those guns into areas where the law says you can't do it, like into a school. Well, no, but the sign on the door says you can't bring your gun in. Well, you know who does then bring the gun in? The criminal. And if the teacher that's in the classroom who's law-abiding and has a gun isn't allowed to have it in the classroom, well, that teacher is probably going to get killed rather than being able to take down the assailant that comes into the classroom. Again, it makes zero sense. There is no logic behind this kind of stuff. But this is America as we have it today. I mean, if we want to talk about a lack of logic, we can move on to the next story, which is that the Capitol Police, their union head, says that here we are years after January 6th, and they're still not prepared. (laughs) They still are not prepared for an event like what happened on January 6th. And that, to me, is a little bit worrisome, but we're pointing directly to the people that have been in charge for the last two years, even after January 6, 2021 happened. Nancy Pelosi, what's been going on? I think we all know the answer to that. This is an article from justthenews.com says that a Tuesday press release from the United States Capitol Police Labor Committee decried the U.S. CP leadership for failing to answer key questions about law enforcement's preparation for the January 6th event. 
Quote, first, how could we have been so unprepared given the intelligence USCP had weeks ahead of the attack? Asked the Capitol Police Officer Union Chairman Gus Papapanasia. He continues, second, why hasn't anyone at the top of USCP's leadership responsible for these intelligence failures been held accountable? Well, I think we all know why. Because we told you the story here. You didn't hear it in a lot of places that Donald Trump requested over 10,000 National Guard troops be sent to the Capitol before the events of January 6th in order to prevent anything from happening because there was, in fact, intelligence that said there was the possibility for violence. Mr. Papapanasia continues with, quote, what infuriates me is knowing our leaders had intelligence that should have driven a massive security response. If then Assistant Chief Pittman, who was in charge of intelligence, had shared that information, it would have allowed us to prepare properly, coordinate with partner agencies and the National Guard as the proper show of force would have been on display and January 6th possibly would have turned out differently. Again, this is from the Capitol Police Officers Union chairman saying this. He concludes with, quote, It is our belief the Capitol would not have been breached had the global fence been up and law enforcement been prepared. But let's remember the House for two years was on another witch hunt over Donald Trump. I didn't hear this in those hearings. No, they wanted to point the fingers at Donald Trump. But the reality of the situation is very, very different. Things could have been prevented. The fact that the Capitol Police at this point still have no idea how to deal with a situation like this is a damning implication of just how incompetent Nancy Pelosi and everybody involved with the Capitol Police and security for our nation's capital, just how incompetent they are. But I guess that's really the point and the question. Were they really incompetent or did they get the event that they wanted? The continuing release of the Twitter files seems to be showing us just how far the Democrats were willing to go in order to spread propaganda and try to get what they want. So it really is a question at this point. Was Nancy Pelosi, was the mayor of D.C., were these Democrats, were they incompetent? Were they stupid? Were they morons? Did they not understand the threat that the Capitol was going to face on January 6th? Or did they want to see it because it was going to be good for the optics? They wanted to show the world how bad Donald Trump was, even though Donald Trump was the guy saying, hey, uh, the intelligence, we're all seeing this, right? We're seeing that there's a really strong possibility that there's going to be violence on January 6th, 
So I'm giving you the okay. I mean, you have to request it, Nancy Pelosi. You have to request it, mayor of D.C. But I'm the president. I'm giving you however many National Guard troops you want. I would suggest 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 National Guard troops to be boots on the ground on January 6th to have a show of force so that things don't get out of hand. And that offer was turned down, and you have to ask yourself why. I think there's a very good chance that it was turned down because they were hoping for violence. I think the stories that are out there suggesting you had some agent provocateurs in the crowd that were working with the FBI, were working for various groups that are not conservative Donald Trump MAGA related that were involved in sparking things up. I think there's some truth to that. And nobody's asking those questions when it comes to the January 6th committee. And the answer to that, why would be because they don't want those answers because that would shed light upon what they did in order to have the events of January 6th go the way they did. But now back to the Twitter files and Russian collusion, which again shows very strongly that the Democrats are willing to get down and dirty and lie and spread propaganda just to try to go after their political enemies. This from Breitbart Twitter files company exaggerated Russian influence to appease the media and Democrats quoting Twitter deliberately exaggerated the extent of Russian influence on its platform in an attempt to appease the media and the Democrats, even after their internal investigations into the matter proved it was a dud. This, according to journalist Matt Taibbi, who has released yet another batch of the Twitter files. And this story is interesting. It gives you a timeline of how things went on at first. The Russian collusion was mainly focused on ad money being spent on Facebook. And the internal memos over at Twitter were like, hey, we got away with this. We are skating by. Let's just let everybody focus on Facebook and we'll be fine. That's the whole thing they wanted to do from Twitter. Keep the focus on Facebook. But that's not what happened things continue to be moving on they were slammed twitter was by senator mark warner for having an inadequate response to the allegations of the russian meddling twitter's response to that was to actually form their own russia task force to investigate any influence that the russian government may be having on the platform and it's probably not a surprise to find out that this task force found very little evidence of any significant Russian involvement on the platform. In October 2017, according to Breitbart, the task force reported that it had found, quote, no evidence of a coordinated approach. All of the accounts found 
seemed to be lone wolf type activity, which was explained in a tweet by Matt Taibbi, which says, quote, finished with investigation, 2,500 full manual account reviews. We think this is exhaustive. 32 suspicious accounts. Only 17 of those are connected with Russia. And only two of those have a significant spend, one of which is Russia today and the remaining under 10,000 in spending. So, yeah, there was a Russian news agency that was buying ads. Otherwise, very little being spent. But we were told there was hundreds of thousands of dollars. This was Russian collusion. They were trying to get involved with the United States election. They were trying to help Donald Trump. But it turns out. When Twitter went to investigate this, they did not find that at all. But the Democrats were not happy with that. The Democrats were not happy with that, and they wanted Twitter to continue towing the line. The Breitbart article continues following inquiries from the Senate Intelligence Committee requesting a write up on the accounts identified. Twitter chose not to defend itself. And Twitter was soon apologizing for the same accounts they'd initially told the Senate were not a problem. So somebody put some pressure on Twitter and they went back and started being like, oh, wait, wait. They started tap dancing. And while Twitter was telling people publicly that it only removed content at their sole discretion, privately, they showed that any user that was identified by the U.S. intelligence community as a state-sponsored entity conducting cyber operations would not be allowed to advertise on Twitter. So the U.S. government started deciding who would be able to advertise on Twitter and who would not. This doesn't seem like a private company acting on its own at this point. This seems like a company that was fully in bed with the Democrat Party here in the United States, actively trying to push the propaganda that a sitting president was involved in an improper way with a foreign country. All of this, as we now know, was complete and utter garbage. And we all followed the trail right back to the Hillary Rodham Clinton campaign for starting this with the Russian dossier in the first place. And you wonder why people don't believe the media. And you wonder why there is so much hatred. And you wonder why there is so much distrust. It is because more and more we are seeing that government agencies are working in the shadows to push lies. And it's one thing when it's campaigns like the Hillary Clinton campaign, but it's another thing when it is the FBI. It's another thing when it's any other intelligence agency. It's another thing when it's people working in the White House that are putting pressure then on social media companies in order to push propaganda that everybody knows is a lie. Now, a follow-up on a story that we had recently about age verification online. This comes from Fox News. 
Conservatives celebrate law that ensures age verification to view online porn in Louisiana. So Louisiana, the first state requiring an ID and age verification in order to access adult material online. And as we talked about before, there are so many problems with this. I don't disagree with the concept that online porn is a problem because children have access to it. I just understand that the internet is a global entity that this is going to do very little except make people jump through hoops. And the real answer is again, don't let children have access to the internet. This concept here, which is, well, you know, we require brick and mortar stores to check ID before somebody buys, are there still DVDs or magazines or any of that? I don't even know if that exists anymore, but we require ID in order in the non-online world to access adult material. And that's true, but the online world is completely different because there is no safe harbor. There is no safe space online. It's not like pornography online only exists on porn sites as well, which was one of the more interesting parts of this law. And I'm wondering what this is going to do to the companies that are out there, because I think everybody knows if there's a loophole of anything, people will try in order to find that and exploit that. In this case, the new law in Louisiana states that websites containing 33.3% or more, yeah, believe it or not, the magic number 33 shows up yet again, but websites containing 33.3 or more percent of pornographic material will now be held liable for ensuring that their viewers are 18 years of age or older or risk legal ramifications. So I'm just wondering if this means that all of the porn sites that are out there now are just going to try to become, oh, we only have 32%. So we, we can be wide open then in Louisiana. Because, you know, that makes a lot of sense. But this brings up an important aspect of this whole story, which is pornography exists anywhere on the Internet that people are allowed to upload content, which means it exists on Twitter. It exists on Facebook. It exists on TikTok. It exists on any site that allows people to upload content. So it exists on Google and Gmail in Google Docs. It's going to exist everywhere on the Internet. Every platform that backs up files like Dropbox, it exists. So this is, again, insanity of trying to fix a problem that is impossible to fix where the real answer is don't give children under the age of 18 access to the internet. The internet does not have to be child safe. Why don't we just deem the whole internet as not child safe because it's never going to be child safe. 
your kids' text messages, even if you cut off their internet access, people can still send them porn via text message. So that you can't do that either. This again comes down to parenting, monitoring your kids, knowing what they're doing, rather than expecting the government or some other agency to be able to save your kids from the bad things on the internet. Because again, porn exists, adult material exists on every single site on the internet that allows people to upload their own content. Now, they may try to filter it out, but you're never going to stop it. And I think it's hilarious to put a percentage on there of, well, you know, if you only have 32%, then you don't have to verify the age. So I guess porn is okay in Louisiana as long as it's alongside something that's not porn. That doesn't make any sense either, but this is because politicians are morons and they're wasting time and they're wasting money trying to do things that are impossible to do. Now, companies that are based in the United States might have to go, yeah, we're going to do the age verification. But the reality is the companies that are headquartered outside of the United States don't care. Anybody that wants to access porn, you know, if your kid wants to do it and you're in Louisiana, it'll cost them like two bucks to get a VPN to route the traffic outside of Louisiana, and then they're not going to get the pop-up. So this is going to have zero effect on the people in Louisiana, but let's all applaud it and cheer it. And I wonder how much money and how much time went into this. It's absolute insanity. Again, there's a very simple answer. Keep your dumb kids off the internet. And I'm not even being facetious here. I'm not exaggerating. I don't think kids under the age of 18 need to be on the internet. I think you can get through your life and get through high school without having the internet. You would be much healthier if you were not allowed to be on social media and take part in all of that until you were through high school and ready to go out as an adult into college, allegedly an adult. It would be way healthier because there's no question about it when it comes to things that kids have to deal with. The internet makes most of them worse. They open kids up to all sorts of predatory behavior. They open kids up to all sorts of unsavory people. It opens them up to doing stupid things like sending their own nude photos out and then being blackmailed. We talked about way too many stories of that ilk last year where mainly guys are faked with a message like, oh, I'm a girl. Send me some nudes and we'll be friends. And they do. And then it's like, well, no, send me all your money. And they don't know what to do. And more than a few ended up killing themselves. Again, if you didn't have the Internet. You wouldn't have to worry about that problem. And I'm glad I didn't have to deal with it as a kid. But it all comes down again to parents. If you're going to allow your children to be on the Internet, then you better make damn well sure they're ready for it. That they're able to determine things that will keep them safe and not fall for the scams. 
to trust them not to go to the porn sites because the big government ain't going to be able to block them and they're going to be able to get it anyway. If you think passing a law is going to keep your kids from looking at porn, no. What's going to keep your kids from looking at porn is them being well-adjusted children who have good parents, who raise them right, who actually pay attention to what they're doing and don't just give them a device and send them off to their room. Now this is happening to kids down into the single digit of ages, you know, under 10 years old where it's like, oh, here's a phone. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Are you nuts? And I know this is a topic that I keep hitting on, but it's because all of these things keep happening and people are just clueless like, well, ah, we don't know how to fix it. I, it's a very simple thing. Don't give your kids a device. They're going to cry. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Don't give them a device. Don't pay the bills because once you do that, you're the one that's responsible for the problem. If you think there's any chance that there's ever going to be a magic filter or a magic governmental regulation that's going to keep your children safe on the internet, that is not the case. I hate to break your bubble. Phones are dangerous because of the access that they give people, one, to your children and what your children get access to. So understand that, and you'll be ahead of most parents. But stay engaged. Have the conversations. Don't assume anything. And if you don't feel that your children are ready for the internet, and they're probably not, then don't give them a device. Watch them when they're on the internet. If they have a laptop or something like that, they need to use it for school or homework. I mean, let's remember, we also had the story, was it a couple of years ago, that the school board people in Pennsylvania or somewhere that they gave out the laptops, they were spying on the kids. I mean, nothing creepy there at all. Understand the technology and understand the privacy implications, understand the tracking implications. We had many stories about the little air tags, whether they're from Apple or other companies being able to be slipped onto someone's person or in their bag or on their vehicle where they can then be tracked and traced. There was recently a story about an exploit that was available for the little Google home devices, which is their little talking tube that allegedly was now patched last year, but that made it fairly easy for anybody that was close enough to your house to be able to access that device to be able to then spy on you and use those microphones to listen to what was going on in your home. And as I've mentioned before, with those little talking tubes, quite often the microphones are way better than you want to believe. You do not have to be within a few feet of the device for it to pick you up. Some of these microphones are so good. You can be a room or two away and it can still decipher what's being said. Again, we're living in a different time. We are living with devices whose only jobs are to spy on us. And there's plenty of apps on cell phones that are completely dangerous, like TikTok and others that we've talked about, all the talking tubes. And again, giving your kids access to all these things 
Not a really good idea. But I will jump off of the soapbox because I have a bunch of people to thank here on the very first show of 2023. This is a value for value podcast, which I learned from Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak of the No Agenda podcast. It's a show that's been around for 15 years, and the method they've been using is simple. The content goes out there. You get to decide if you've gotten any value out of it, and if so, you get some value back. It can be in a lot of different ways. Monetarily is very helpful to keep the lights on, the microphones humming, the web hosts going strong, and you know the P.O. box, all this stuff. There are some fees that are associated with running a podcast, so it is always appreciated when people send some value back in the form of cash, money, whatever you want to call it today, fiat fund coupons. And today we have a few people to thank for their support of this show. First and foremost, our buddy, Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley, coming in with his $15 a month monthly donation. That's appreciated. You get a lot of in the names, a lot of sirs or dames, and that also comes from the No Agenda Show. Also coming in at $15 is our buddy Chew the Kooky coming in via snail mail. That is always appreciated because when checks come in, there's no percentage. You don't have to pay PayPal. You don't have to worry about any fees. And it all just works, especially now that you can just, you know, pop out your cell phone and take a picture of the check and all of a sudden it's in your bank account. But still, don't give your kids cell phones. Our buddy Stu Coates coming in with the non-Satanic 666 donation all the way from the UK. That is appreciated. Our buddy, Sir Truck Driver, coming in with 565, which is also a monthly donation. Thank you. Coming in over on Patreon where there's no extra content. But if you're in that ecosystem already, it's an easy way to get some value back to us. Brian Janak with five bucks. Dennis Woods with five bucks. Tim Heasel with five bucks. And rounding out the list today, Bill Honey with $3.33. It is all very much appreciated. It helps us to keep everything going. And really, it's always just nice to know that the work is appreciated that people are listening. And I really do hope that you get value out of the show. Maybe you learn something that you have not heard anywhere else. Maybe you get a tip that you hadn't thought of before. And I know it's always nice to know that somebody else is having the same questions that you are and trying to figure out exactly what's going on in a world where it is very hard to get accurate and truthful information. I do my best here to make things accurate, to make them truthful, to not put too much of a spin on things. And I do hope you find that to be a worthwhile endeavor. With all that said, I will be back next week with another edition of the Random Thoughts podcast. Again, happy new year. Here's to a 2023 filled with joy and enlightenment. Until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening. 